Welcome back to the FKT Podcast, brought to you by Merrill Test Lab. I'm your host, Heather Anderson. Today we're chatting with David Hedges, who just broke the supported northbound FKT on the Nolan's 14 route in Colorado. Join us to learn about the highs, lows, and hallucinations of this classic route. Thank you, Merrill, for supporting not only this podcast, but the fastestknowntime.com website and the FKT community. Merrill invites you to put yourself and their new Skyfire 2 shoe, their newest, lightest, and fastest trail running shoe, to the test on your next adventure. It's available over at Merrill.com. Well, thank you so much, David, for taking time to be on the show with us today and talk about your recent Nolan's 14 FKT. Thanks, Heather. So first of all, we have listeners from all over the world, and I'd love it if you could just take a couple minutes to describe what the Nolan's 14 route is um, and maybe a little bit about its iconic status in the FKT world so that they have a little bit of context before we dive in. Yeah, the uh, Nolan's 14 is a, it's basically a, it's a kind of a choose your own line link up of 14, 14,000 foot peaks in the Sawatch range in sort of central, south central Colorado. And it basically stretches from, you start at the Blanks Cabin in um, outside of Salida, Colorado, and then you, you, in the south, or if you're going northbound, and then you finish at the Leadville Fish Hatchery. And in between, you just have to tag the 14, 14,000 foot peaks. It has like an interesting history. It's there was like a group of progenerators who uh, <laughs> I think in the 90s, which I don't know all the details, but it was sort of like a race. It was like a big race challenge thing for a while. And then um, it goes through all these wilderness areas. So they they quickly realized that they couldn't really host any sort of sanctioned race. <laughs> right. And I don't know if people are really finishing it either. Yeah. So it became like a challenge. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is to go under 60 hours. I One of the things that always strikes me about um, kind of the parameters for Nolan's is its similarities to the Barkley, because it's also like 60 hours and it's like mostly off trail and just all of this. And I think kind of originated in a similar time frame. So kind of an interesting parallel. Yeah. And, and it's like, I think until... I don't know. I mean, maybe until my GPX, actually, maybe maybe that's not entirely true. But for a while, people didn't really know how long it was like between 80 miles and 120 miles. <laughs> that also sounds like the Barkley. <laughs> like 40,000 feet of climbing and like a million feet of climbing. <laughs> and so what did your stats work out to be with, with regard to elevation change and distance? So it was uh, 94 miles with... 40, uh, like 45 and a half, 46,000 feet of ascent. Wow. That's incredible. And do you think that you took a fairly, a fairly standard line through here? Or do you feel like you made some, some changes? I know at this point it's pretty honed in what a lot of people do through Nolan's. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the game has changed just with Strava heat maps mm -hmm. and, and also with the FKT.com website, having, um, links to people's data. So, when Joey Campanelli set the unsupported time in 2020, he, I mean, it seemed to me that he, he basically uh, was perfect. I mean, he, he had like a perfect route and I, it's, I think that that's basically how it seemed to everyone else too. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I think people have basically just been downloading his two files, uh, the first half and the second half mm -hmm. and following as they go. And that's actually what I used in training. And then what I did was, did a couple of iterations here and there and looked at my own personal heat map on Strava, which had accumulated all the different lines I had taken over the years. 
and kind of delineated like my personal lines, which were, you know, largely the same as Joey's uh, because we were both going the same direction. But there are a few differences. Yeah. Uh, so since you brought up training, I would like to know um, a little bit more about like your training methodology. Like obviously you did these peaks before you went out and did Nolan's. Can you talk to you a little bit about how you went about preparing for this FKT? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I really, I mean, it's maybe my favorite thing about FKTs in general is just that you get to really like explore a place. And I mean, even if it's on a, like an actual trail, there's so many different, especially if it's really technical, you know, there's so many different sort of ways you can either physically or mentally approach, especially on down uh, descents. But so that was really fun for Nolan's. I started getting on the peaks in 2016 and, um, and kind of as my sort of mountain pro prowess grew, I was able to have more fun with them and, 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 uh, do like even, you know, crazier linkups and training. And then this year was when I really sort of tackled, um, the line as training. So I, in the five weeks prior, I was camping beneath the, the route, um, or along the Sawatch range and, uh, and just getting up on, I was trying to hit each section at least twice, mm. which I didn't quite accomplish, but some I over, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I got on many more, you know, many more times than just twice. So yeah. So I was just kind of, I feel like I was living it. I was like living the Nolans for about a month <laughs> and then went after it. Nice. Uh, I feel like that kind of dedication is sometimes really necessary for routes like this to, to, especially like an off trail route, like Nolan's. Like, I feel like you really have to know the route well, um, to be able to handle it when you get out there and you're fatigued and it's dark and that sort of thing. Yeah. And when I first came out in the early June, it was all snowy and stormy and, and I hadn't been in Colorado for a while. And it, it was, it was honestly really daunting. Yeah. <laughs> I was that first outing. I think I did. Yeah, I was up on Columbia and then got stormed off. And I was just looking around like, oh, no, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, but pretty soon, yeah, you do kind of like rationalize it um, section by section. Right. So I'd like to back up a little bit because uh, when I was reading, you know, uh, your trip report and some of the other things about um, this FKT and you, it seems like you have a really long history with Nolans. And so I'd love it if you could talk to us about like how you found out about Nolans and why you chose to do this FKT and maybe a little bit about the journey to get from like when you first heard about it to out there setting the overall um, supported FKT on it. Yeah, I'm from Chicago, from the city. And, uh, I was, um, you know, like voraciously consumed like adventure books and stuff like that in movies. Like I couldn't get enough, uh, despite being in maybe the most, you know, not exactly an outdoorsy town. And so I eventually like discovered trail running just, just by reading about it and, you know, YouTube and, and what have you. And, and pretty soon, obviously I learned about Anton Krupichka <laughs> and read his blog and at the time, or maybe just a year or two before, he had been projecting Nolan's himself. And so I learned about Nolan's as like a 14-year-old in Chicago. And I was like just totally blown away. Of course, I had like no context for these things, right. you know, as, but except for like Krakauer books, which... Right. Um, and so... And so I was just like, that's the coolest thing you could possibly do. I want to do that one day, along with, you know, running around running around Mont Blanc and that sort of thing. Um, but 
I ended up actually going to Colorado College, which is um, where he went in Colorado Springs. And I got to know just, you know, immediately, uh, immediately I got to know Alex Nichols over there who um, was the assistant cross country coach. So I ran cross country that freshman year and, and he was, I think the year, yeah, I mean, he was doing some amazing stuff. I mean, he still is, <laughs> but in the mountains. And so he kind of let me, let me tag along on a couple, just a couple of runs. And I got together with some of the other runners and the older runners in Colorado Springs, like Brandon Stepanovich and, and uh, Peter Maximo. And so sort of got to know the mountains that way and just doing a lot of, you know, stupid long runs after class that, you know, no, no one would advise really. But um, in the end, in 2018, when Alex Nichols um, went for Nolan's, the Nolan supported record, he was trying to rally some troops for help and there weren't too many people around, um, but I was around. And so <laughs> I ran snacks into him in for him at um, around the midway point uh, at Pine Creek. So I parked my car at Pine Creek trailhead and it's like a nine mile run in. And then I saw him, which was really cool. Like this little, this little dot descending Harvard, you know, at sunset at dusk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then we climbed Oxford together and long story short, I continued and finished the whole route with him after, I mean, I was, um, he and Megan dropped me on Mount Massive, the final piece. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I was, yeah. So after that, I was, it was kind of like the catalyst where like, yes, I was running in the mountains at that point, but I didn't know you could sort of do whatever you wanted and seeing what he was able to do out there and just, you know, the nature of the line of Nolan's of the Nolan's line really like inspired me. So, and then at the end, I somehow made it to the fish hatchery myself, um, having never done that descent before and having been, you know, brutally dropped. <laughs> <laughs> and Megan was, Megan was at the finish, you know, completely fresh. Um, and uh, of course, and she was like, you know, you just did like more than half of Nolan's as a 20 year old, you'll be back pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, I will. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't think I'd be back in just, you know, in five years, I thought maybe that would be like my 35, you know, kind of like, like late stage career, um, <laughs> project, but, uh, just, I don't know, between the pandemic and getting more and more into the mountain stuff and just feeling strong, I, and kind of being in between things right now, I, I just said, I'm going to, you know, over the winter, I was actually living in North Carolina and I said, like, I realized I had, I was going to get my master's degree and in, in June. And so, and, uh, you know, I still had a couple months left on my mom's health care plan. And so I, I, I said, uh, like, yeah, I'll, I'll just go out and, and see if I can, I can train properly and, and makes, you know, make, make a lot of progress feeling comfortable on the route. And, uh, and I did and, and and got it. So yeah, that's the story. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Um, when you helped Alex or when you joined Alex, was that your first time really being on the Nolan's route at all? No, I, I had been up there. I'd done maybe half the peaks and some of them a couple of times, but okay. I'd never done the off trail bits really. Right. Right. Yeah. And then the following week after finishing up that adventure, I started linking every all, all of the off trail sections <laughs> yeah yeah 
Um, so when I was looking at your FKTs page, I mean, I know you've done a lot of ultras, but this was your longest FKT by far. And so I'm kind of curious uh, what you found to be different or maybe the same as some of your shorter FKTs. Yeah, I mean, it, it did kind of represent a combination. I mean, I guess I applied like this, the sort of, you know, I've run through the night a number of times. And so, and I've run 100 miles, you know, and and just long races. And um, so I sort of just applied that sort of race strategy and having Jack Kunzel um, crew me. And uh, I should mention, uh, yeah, so Jack um, and then Henry Harris from Salida and Sean Van Horn crewed me. And then uh, Nikki La Rochelle was able to 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 uh, tag massive with Jack and I and, and run to the finish. So that was just really amazing and really helpful. But basically, I was able to get aid. And so I basically, um, you know, I could treat it like a race. Mm -hmm. I could treat Nolan's like a race. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I had done a couple, I think, uh, what comes to mind is like the Boulder Crest Traverse in Idaho, uh, you know, it was like a totally off trail, long, um, point to point route that I did, uh, some years ago. And so that felt a little bit similar, mm -hmm. you know, just like with a ton of exposure and route finding and. Um, so I, I guess I had like different tastes of what Nolan's racing Nolan's could be like in the past doing FKTs. And then the other example, I guess, is just the Art Loeb Trail in February. I also almost this training, actually, knowing that I would go after Nolan's, I intentionally got out and really projected each of the sections. There's mm -hmm. sort of like three sections and um, just enjoyed it so much. And uh, yeah, it's like on a much shorter time. <laughs> much shorter distance and much shorter time frame than our tr lobe trail. But, um, right. it was the same, it was really the same process, mm -hmm. just much more condensed. Yeah. Was there anything that you learned or that surprised you about Nolan's that you weren't expecting? Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really know how I would do going into the second day, like in, especially the afternoon of the second day. So I, I, I started at four 30. So I got, four and a half hours of sleep Thursday night and then started at four 30 and then finished at seven 30 the next day. And so I just didn't, I was kept waiting for the wave of like, you know, just brute, you know, deathly fatigue to hit. Um, and it didn't. So, uh, so that was, I guess I was lucky. I don't know. Maybe I should pursue long things further, but, uh, yeah. So that was, I was just kind of, that was like a limit. I wasn't sure right. about personally. But I knew I could just walk uphill and run down for a long time. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Which in the end is all you have to be able to do. <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, your your crew briefly, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, the role they played in this. And also, like, did you know the people in your crew beforehand? Like, had you worked with them in this sort of context of support before? Or was this kind of all new? Yeah, so I mean, no, I mean, I should say, like, I've... I've never done a supported FKT before, and most of my races were have been, I think, all but one or no, all but two have been completely, you know, a drop bags and all that, so uh, self sufficient. So I'm not totally familiar. I feel like I I definitely owe a debt of gratitude now, <laughs> but I I I just thought that like I was so intimidated by Joey's uh, Joey Campanelli's unsupported record. And it sounded honestly, you know, doing it unsupported, like pretty miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I thought like, hey, I know quite a few people in Colorado at this point and people who are interested in FKTs and who love these mountains. Why it would be so fun to get them together and and sort of have more of a party out there. And so I, I did actually, you know, I was I was like messaging tons of people, you know, quite a few people and had a solid crew in the weeks before, but basically almost everyone had a bail oh, wow. <laughs> because of hard rock yeah. or some other reason. Like, um, which was unfortunate because I, then I, I had a sort of, I sort of had to, um, the week leading up to the, to the actual attempt, I was trying to find other people, which was futile. So, but luckily Jack, Jack, um, stuck around in Colorado and he said he'd come out and, and he, he actually did. And I had met him just through sort of Northeast running stuff, um, maybe couple years ago, but, you know, only run with him, maybe only one time before actually in New Hampshire. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I knew him, but not well. And then, um, I, I had, I had, I was able to link up with, uh, a new friend, Henry Harris from Salida, who is sort of newer to running, but he, um, somehow did Nolan's last year mm-hmm. too, even though he like, <laughs> he really was jumping off the deep end and, uh, it sounded, I mean, his stories are great. Um, you know, like sleeping in random places up there, but so he, he really is into the route. And so we had a lot of fun in training, you know, um, doing point to points and, uh, and just talking about it, uh, talking about how to approach different parts and things. And then Sean Van Horn, we had met just racing in Colorado, probably in 2018. And he's just a great guy. Like he, he, I, I actually can't believe he was, you know, he basically pulled an nighter all nighter just to meet me on the top of Oxford and wow. give me some food, and like a headlamp and gloves. Um, it was, yeah, it was see like if, if Sean hadn't, hadn't made it up, like, I don't think I could have finished, hmm. um, probably. And just to know that, you know, he, he had to do some, he had like some other commitment that like in eight in the morning, the next morning, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> or even earlier, I don't know. So yeah, so those were the those were my three real crew members, and then Nikki La Rochelle, who I who I hadn't met before. She she was totally busy too, but she was able to drive over from Breckenridge and and bring up snacks and things for Mount Massive, and just like you know, some very fresh energy. So right. it was great. Yeah, it, it really made the whole thing like way you know really enjoyable. Yeah. So you mentioned Joey Campanelli's time. And, um, so you took seven hours off the previous supported record, um, Alex Nichols time, but I think that, um, when we were talking prior, you mentioned that really your focus was on Joey's, uh, unsupported time, which was 41 hours. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like that record, how it inspired you and or intimidated you? Um, were you comparing yourself to his splits? Um, tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, I was putting together a spreadsheet with my sort of ETAs, like my split, my estimated splits for each of the handful of checkpoints. And by the end, I mean, the, the, the range was like eight hours. So it just goes to show like, it's really hard to know, to predict how, cause if you look at sort of each section on paper, it's like, wow, you could probably do it in 32 hours or something like reasonably, but you just, it's the variables of being at altitude like that and running through the night and, uh, summertime in Colorado is, you know, notoriously unpredictable in terms of 
weather conditions and wind and mm -hmm. the exposure is pretty extreme. So just so much can go wrong. And so that's kind of what, like before Joey set the 41 out, put 41 hours up, like you mentioned, the time was 46 or so. And, you know, a lot of really strong runners had, had attempted Nolan's and attempted to go fast and had failed. And so by the time Joey set the record, it was almost like it was so far below the previous sort of people's previous notion of what was possible, including mine, that it, it was like shocking. Yes. <laughs> and then to read his blog was all, even more intimidating <laughs> because he was like, I had a great time the whole time. And I was like in the flow state and it was incredible and like nothing went wrong. And and like, you know, I had the perfect day, like, I'll never have a better day. Well, I don't know if he ever, he said, I'll never have a de better day. But I think to everyone reading it, they were like, there's no way anyone else could have a better day. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just, you know, he's such an accomplished and strong through hiker. The way he made it sound is like, actually, the unsupported was not a disadvantage. And he was able just because there's, I mean, the psychological component is so huge. He didn't give himself an option to, to sit down or rest or, you know, or kind of complain or anything. So, and so it just took for me personally, sort of just like a, in the, con, in the convening years, just, a, you know, just to build the self-confidence and sort of, and sort of just think like, and, and I think a lot of that came from actually last summer, I was, it's a long story, but I ended up um, spending the whole summer in the Alps nice. <laughs> basically because I got elite slots to, um, to marathon to Mont Blanc and UTMB last year. And with the Russia thing, prices were expensive for flights and rent in mountain towns in Colorado is extremely expensive. So I was able to, you know, basically pay for rent, half of rent, living in the Alps, do one trip. And I was training like, like a crazy person. Like I was doing 50,000 foot vertical weeks, like on the regular basis, wow. the whole summer, like I raced well twice and had a bat, you know, I had, a, I ended up having to drop out of ultra trail Mont Blanc, but the whole summer was really just like, I just gained so much confidence in the mountains, just being like, wow, I could, you know, my standard run was like 18 miles with six and a half thousand feet of climbing. I could do in like two hours and 45 minutes. Wow. You know? It's just it was like so easy. Or there was a peak right above where I was staying. It was, I could get like 8,000 foot ascent up the ski route, you know, from 2000 feet to 10,000 feet. And I could do it in like, um, like, less, you know, like two hours and 15 minutes, just casual. Cause it was so great. <laughs> Anyways, I gained a lot of confidence and I was like, okay, there's nothing about the climbing or the length or the technical difficulty of the trail that is going to stop me. And I've never had a problem with my stomach. I've never had a problem with altitude. And so I just was like, you know what, I, maybe I can try it. And then I thought like, well, having it supported would actually be an advantage. And in the end, I really didn't have it like fully supported. I didn't have people to carry my stuff on all the peaks or I didn't have full aid stations or anything. So you could con conceivably like really, you know, really kind of bring the, the route to like a race standard, but I was actually okay with it because, you know, it goes through these wilderness areas. I really appreciated sort of the feel of an adventure, even though it was supported. So Let's see, where was I going with that? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I just felt strong and like committed and like psychologically, you know, ready. And so I gave it a shot. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Joey is a beast and like just this, I mean, I remember when he set his FKT and being like, it's going to be a long time before anybody goes lower than that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And still, I mean, I like <laughs> just having, you know, being like three quarters of the way through thinking about Joey going unsupported on that second day was like, wow, the respect was exponentially raised. Like that guy's a monster. <laughs> He's so strong. Yeah. Next level for sure. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to know what, like, what was your biggest challenge while you were out there? Um, I, I had some struggle with gear and honestly, that was, that was just some oversight personally. And I just needed basically some backup pairs of shoes to switch into mm. that I didn't give myself, I didn't have, I actually just didn't have them. And so I figured it'd be okay, but I ran into some trouble that definitely cost some time and was just, you know, uncomfortable, just annoying and with my feet. Uh, but you know, in retrospect, I was, I just needed, I just needed like one other pair of shoes and it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a problem whatsoever. So I think like I got a lot of the gear problems, right. But there are a few things. And again, and I really have to emphasize, like if someone could design like something, I mean, I haven't tried every shoe on the market, but I've destroyed a lot of shoes out there <laughs> over the years. And the terrain is just so unforgiving, especially underfoot, but also like the uppers on so many shoes just get slashed. Yeah. Just completely obliterated. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's really, really hard to find footwear, especially for this sort of effort. And, you know, you're, you're fording rivers and um, you're off camber the whole time. So, right. Yeah, that was my biggest, just my feet were my biggest trouble. But the other one was, it was, it was hot, like, mm -hmm. um, uh, record breaking, breaking temps. And it's tough. Cause you, you know, you really want to avoid clouds because if there's a 15% chance of a thunderstorm, by the time you get over all the 14, you know, just probability wise, you're probably going to have to have to run it. You know, you're going to run into trouble. So I cho chose like a perfectly clear day, mm -hmm. but it was, it was, it was baking on, um, especially right. on Princeton it goes below 10,000 feet at the approach and, and getting off on the Colorado trail. And so I, you know, it's really hard to drink enough basically. <laughs> right. I would imagine there's not a lot of water to be found on the route either since you're so high up. It's actually not too bad. It's, it's especially this year because it was so snowy. Mm. There was, there was still some good seeps and that was actually really important in, in the training to know. Like for instance, I took the less direct line on Harvard Columbia or between Columbia and Harvard. Um, basically you can either scramble this ridge or sort of go down into this basin and then go back up. And the ridge was too snowy to trial and practice. So I didn't want to risk it on race day, but also there was a really nice Creek, um, that I stop at every single time I'm over there. Mm -hmm. and, so, and I knew exactly where it was. Um, and so I made that like a big, you know, fill up point. Mm -hmm. So it is important to know where the water actually is. Cause yes, it's not dry, but you can easily miss some of them. Right. Yeah. How much water were you carrying on average? Oh, it's hard to know. It's hard to know, but I was, I mean, I think I was pretty consistently drinking. I mean, I hope I was drinking a liter an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I just asked cause water is so heavy. So I was just kind of curious, like how much water yeah. weight you were well, I was basically drinking things immediately okay yeah yeah 
So more more like and, cameling up at, at a good source than carrying water. Yeah. And then just I just taking the, those extra seconds to fill up whenever is whenever was possible, even if it was kind of nasty. I just didn't didn't care at that point. So right. <laughs> at a certain point you can't care. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so what was I mean, I feel like it sounds like you had a pretty good day out there, but I would imagine there was a low point at some point. So what what was your lowest point during this effort? Um, okay. Lowest point, I think, yeah. So on Princeton, I, like I said, it was just, it was like, it was baking and, and the Princeton Ridge, Princeton's the biggest standalone peak of the whole line. And it's the fourth going northbound. And, uh, so I hit it like right at, at high sun. Um, and basically there's this really long ridge that you have to, you have to, you have to traverse, um, above 14,000 feet. And so, and then it's just the worst descent of the whole day hmm. that takes forever on this boulder field that is totally exposed. And so I was like pretty depleted by the time I met Jack and Henry at, um, at the avalanche trailhead. And I was a little unsure if that would kind of be the end, because I knew if you get, yeah, I was like pretty far behind on nutrition and, 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 and hydration. And so I, I was pretty concerned, but just having Henry help me out going up Yale was super helpful. And I, you know, I was like, initially my game plan was just to never like really never stop. But on Yale, I took a sit for like three minutes and just drank a couple bottles mm -hmm. and just like took it easy, took in like, you know, a couple hundred calories and that really did it, so, you know, really revived me. So it wasn't so much of a low moment. It was actually pretty, but I think the mindset, I was really just, I didn't let it, I didn't let it like get me down. Mm -hmm. Like I really didn't want it to spiral. So I just stayed positive and, and just enjoyed Yale and knew that like I could, you know, I knew that it was still so early. So, um, so maybe that was a low point. And then the other one was, I think the crux of the whole line of the whole Nolan's this, this year was, was going up Huron, uh, here it was a snowy year. And so the basin on the east side of Huron had really filled in and didn't melt until just a couple weeks ago. And so by the time I was hiking up, it was like incredibly compacted and icy at three in the morning. Mm. And so I was, I had been worrying about that all day and the week before, and it's kind of a hike in to be able to even just see what's going on over there. And I, so I wasn't able to use my binoculars to scout it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just didn't know like how really atrocious it was. So I was really worried, but luckily some hiker like a day or two before had kicked in some tracks and luckily they're deep enough that I could get some traction myself. And so it's like a 40% grade, but I was kind of able to use the booter <laughs> to go up. Nice. And you didn't have, so it wasn't you didn't have like crampons or microspikes or anything. I brought, uh, I had Sean give me mine for that section, but I didn't, I didn't even use them. Okay. So it, but you know, I was like pretty, it was still pretty sketch just with all the ice mm -hmm. and my feet weren't doing so hot at the time. And so just going up here on, I was, I was in some rough, I was getting the hiccups above 13,000 feet, which is <laughs> just pretty unpleasant, right. but also like not necessarily the best sign for how your sort of body's doing. Right. And you know, it was three thirty in the morning, but I think it was like four by the time I got to the top and I was, yeah, it was just like that, you know, the witching hour and it, it wasn't super fun, but I got the sunset at the top of Huron, which like totally lifted my spirits. It was incredible. Nice. It was so nice. 
Did you sleep at all yeah. during the route? Nope. Yeah. 39 hours without sleeping. <laughs> it's a long time. So we talked a little about your, your low points and your challenges. I'd love to hear about maybe some of the best moments out there. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the best moment, I mean, th that sunrise on Huron was pretty special, uh, just with all the pinks and oranges and, you know, no one's up there yet. And it's just like, you're kind of in the middle of the entire, it's like you're, if you feel like you're in the middle of Colorado and you could just see everything, mm -hmm. it's just beautiful. And then the other great part was like, I, I mentioned Nikki La Rochelle caught up to me and Jack as we, we summited, um, Mount Massive. And that's also like a kind of cool, but also deceptively long ridge line up there, mm -hmm. which, and again, Massive is the final peak. So it was a long time coming, um, yeah. but she caught us up and then we did the last little bit of the ridge. And then we were greeted by this like amazing pack of goats at the top. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah. It was really cool. They were, they were, I don't know if they're happy to see us, but we were happy to see them. <laughs> Goats are never happy to see anybody. <laughs> no, not really. Not really. They're really a, a little unsure of our intentions up there. Right. They were good. I mean, our intentions were were, were good, so it was okay. Right. But um, yeah, and it was just it was like a perfect afternoon, and um, and everyone else had you know had all the hikers were off it at that point, so it was just us up there, and yeah, we were able to take it in and just have a relaxed descent. And, um, yeah, that was just really nice. And, and somehow I was like, again, like I, I kept waiting for myself to hit a wall with fatigue and I just didn't like, I felt so good on mass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was yeah, just awesome. Sounds like an amazing experience. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else, uh, that I haven't asked about that you'd like to tell us any other stories or anecdotes? No, not really. I mean, I, uh, like I, I was, I was definitely intentional about like my mindset. I don't know if I've never like worked on that, you know, specifically really, but I just, when I was like visualizing the day, I just knew that the mindset would be so important. And so I, I really did have a strategy for each of the sections and each of the, of the sort of like phases of the day, the days, plural. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it really worked out. Like I really was in a good headspace the whole time, but, but it was the sort of headspace where I was really trying to stay even temperamentally and, and also pace wise, which I, I've managed to pull off both. But so I didn't like the highs weren't that, that high, but also the lows weren't really low. Right. Um, uh, so, um, so in a way it wasn't like all of that exciting as a result, you know, I, yeah, but I, I also had like a lot of hallucinations actually. <laughs> I was seeing all sorts of creatures and random stuff out there. Oh, wow. It was, um, what was the yeah. craziest thing you hallucinated? Um, definitely a lot of animals. Right. And like completely fin fantastical animals too that I swore were real. <laughs> it was trippy. It was really trippy. And did you have um, to basically just tell yourself like this isn't real? Like were you like kind of having a split reality? No, I was just like, oh, cool. <laughs> okay. I just thought it was great. <laughs> I was like, what is that weird dog doing up there? I don't know. And then, you know, you there are like random mining things everywhere. 
So mm -hmm. it was like completely rational to believe that there was some crazy cabin in the absolute middle of nowhere, but it was actually just like a log. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like going down Yale, you do actually see like the remains of an eight, of an old plane crash oh. that are scattered for a whole like square mile. It's really insane. That's pretty bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre. So then, you know, it's um, your brain does sort of start to expect like weird stuff. Right. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I've had my fair share of hallucinations over the years, but um, lots of log bears, you know, where you see the log and you think it's a bear and... When you realize you're yelling at something that's a log. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your mind does crazy things when you're pushing really hard and not sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing about your experience. It's been really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for everything uh, you and FKT gets up to. Thanks again, David, for coming on the show. You can see all his FKTs on the website, fastestknowntime.com and follow his adventures on Instagram at dhedges underscore or on strava.com athletes backslash 4928557. Thanks again to Merrill Test Lab for supporting the show. Be sure to check out their new Skyfire 2 shoe at merrill.com. 